0: So if you have a copy of God's word, open it up to Romans chapter 5. If you do not, the scripture will be here on the screen. So today we're in Romans 5:12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. All right, well, you don't have to understand all of this to benefit from today's Scripture. This text is is deep this morning, and so I want us to ultimately walk away with knowing we have hope in Christ's triumph over Adam's sin, and that we can praise God for what He has done through the work of Jesus' obedience. So, as a reminder from previous weeks um, that we've, we've been building up to this, we've been walking through Romans for several weeks, and some of the things that Weston has hit on is, faith is a response of obedience based on evidence. Further, justification by grace through faith creates peace between us and God, and character is something that has been tested and proven. All this is wrapped up in Jesus So, I want to to remind us of the definition of justification. Simply put, justification is to declare righteous. That is, to make one right with God, to pronounce us righteous. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, it gives us a good biblical glimpse into justification. Several weeks ago, Weston walked us through this definition of justification and Description of justification that I came across that I really love, and I want to read this to you because it really just sums it up nicely. And it says, Justification is God's declaring those who receive Christ to be righteous, based on Christ's righteousness being imputed to the accounts of those who receive Christ. Because as believers, we are in Christ. God sees Christ's own righteousness when he looks at us. This meets God's demand for perfection. Thus, he declares us righteous. He justifies us. Isn't that a beautiful definition of justification? Just to think about that. Man, just ponder on those thoughts for a minute. That is is good stuff. So so moving on in our our text, just to kind of give you a bird's eye view, um, historically, we know Jesus is an actual person. He is the evidence of our faith. We know he walked and talked on this earth. Um, And just like Jesus, Adam was also a historical person on this earth with a significant role. Paul continues his letter by comparing two historical figures. Adam and Jesus. And if, if you listen to the text as I was reading, like, it's kind of complicated because Paul's like, it feels like he's jumping all over the place. So we're going to really just kind of unpack that here in a little bit and walk through that. So Adam is the father of humanity, and Paul is comparing and contrasting Adam's disobedience with the obedience of Christ. Ultimately, Jesus' obedience is the remedy to Adam's disobedience. There is no other way. There's no other solution There's no other way to salvation due to the damage of Adam's disobedience. There's no other religion that can satisfy the sin of Adam that is on us, but only the work of Jesus Christ. So why is Paul giving us this picture comparing Adam to Jesus? We see in verse 14 it says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What does this mean, a type of the one who was to come, meaning that is Jesus? In in this context, think pattern. It's something we can use to compare with. The objective is to see more plainly and more deeply the work of Christ and how He became the basis of our justification. Without a, a pattern to compare something to, it's difficult to amplify the characteristics of something. So here's an example that I I drafted to kind of give us um, some context. I may try to describe to you the Blue Ridge Mountains. I love mountains, so that's why I came up with this. Um, They're a landscape in northeast Georgia with rugged and rounded weathered peaks approximately 615 miles long. Their elevations range from 1,600 to 4,700 feet. But to show the vastness... Of another set of mountains, I'll compare the Blue Ridge Mountains to the Rocky Mountains. So the Rocky Mountain range is a dramatic wilderness stretching some 3,000 miles with the highest peak topping 14,440 feet. So when we look at the pattern of the Blue Ridge Mountains and compare that to the Rocky, we're able to see and understand just the dominance the vastness and the greatness of the Rocky Mountains. So we're, we're using Adam as a pattern, as a type of the one to come. John Stott gives us a, a really good glimpse into this by his a quote from one of his books says, Paul presents Adam and Christ, the respective heads of the old and new humanities in such a way as to demonstrate the overwhelming superiority of the work of Christ. Now, we can also look to Scripture to get a good interpretation of this text, and I think we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, the end of 44 and on the end of 49. If you have your Bibles, open with me to, to that Scripture. I don't, I'm not going to have that on the screen. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 44 through 49. So this passage is speaking of the resurrection body, but it gives us detail into the comparison between Adam and Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 44 through 49. We're going to start towards the end of 44. Uh, it says, "If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body." Thus it is written: "The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam. Became a life giving spirit. So the last Adam, being Jesus, became a life giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And and, and catch this this is where it really gets good. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And then to further explain that, verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I want to be careful in this passage not to take, chase a tangent, because we could certainly do that this morning. Um but it's important for us to realize the implications of this word. In many ways, this is a comparison of our physical world to that of the spiritual world. So we, we can see, touch. like We have our senses constantly working in our physical world. But when it comes to the spiritual, we are completely lost. Our spiritual senses have not been fine-tuned. So, we have this example of something we can relate to in the physical in comparison to that of the spiritual. But don't miss, again, what verse 49 says in this passage. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Guys, this is, this is super exciting stuff. Just let this resonate. Remember what justification does. I said earlier, because as believers, we are in Christ, God sees Christ's own righteousness when He looks at us. We are bearing the image of Christ. Just as with the man of dust, the physical, we bear the image of Adam. We can see that. But just as the man of heaven those who receive Christ bear His image, and God sees Christ's righteousness on us. So let's get back into our main text this morning. And as a reminder, the aim here is for us to fully and more clearly see the work of Christ and how He became the basis For our justification. So um, we're going to begin unpacking verses 12 through 21. You can open up your scripture or you can look at the scripture here. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk verse by verse. And I'm going to give some of my comments on each verse. So beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. So remember, we bear the image of Adam as our father of humanity. We can also say that Adam's sin has been imputed to us. And imputed in this context, I'm using it, it means to set to one's account. Um, we have a sin nature, if you will. Uh, and then moving into 13 for indeed, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law now be careful here because Paul's not saying people are guiltless without the law in Romans two twelve, he states for all have sinned without the law for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law so we still have a moral law written on our hearts that predates the Mosaic Law. If you remember several weeks ago, Weston talked about this moral law written on our hearts that predates that Mosaic Law. And then moving into verse 14, it says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of, Of the one to come. Now, again, we so we see this word type. I've already spoken on it, and remember, pattern is perhaps a better word for us to use here uh, for our understanding. Um, So, up next, as we walk begin, we're continuing to walk through these scriptures. Paul begins contrasting Adam and Jesus, and and note this this correspondence is not parallel. Um, It's it's or. Uh, but it's a contrast or opposis. Think think antithesis. Um, Adam is the head of the age of death, and Christ as the head of a, the age of life. We will see that Christ's gift is not like Adam's trespass, but it's much more effective. Um, but before we, we move in, I want to just write this up on the whiteboard so it kind of gives us a visual as we're walking through it. Something to... It always helps me when I'm, when I'm seeing some of the stuff that we're talking about. So you guys bear with me real quick while I jot this up on the board. You're going to get to see lovely left-handed writing on a dry erase board. Those of you that are right-handed don't know what I'm talking about, but if you're left-handed, your palm smears everything when you write it. So we'll, uh, we'll, do, we'll do my best to, to get this up here. My wife... Uh, Doesn't think my handwriting's the most lovely, but that's okay. So we have Adam contrasted with Jesus. And so if you remember from when we read the scripture a while ago, um, Paul was going back and forth between what Adam did and what Jesus did and And so, you have an act, you have consequence, and you have an ultimate effect. Um, So, with Adam, we're going to see a trespass. Jesus brings a gift. And then the consequence... Adam brings condemnation. Jesus brings justification. And then the ultimate effect, Adam brings death. Jesus brings life. So just as we walk through these next few scriptures, we're going to kind of see this picture painted. And it's a beautiful picture as we, um, as we come to this apex at the end of Jesus being the giver of life. So beginning in verse 15... It says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So we see Paul beginning his contrast between the work of Adam and of Christ. Again, Adam brings a trespass or disobedience. He disobeyed a command given from God. Christ brings a gift through his obedience. In 16 it says, "And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation." So we see the consequence is condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So pay attention to not like the result. Emphasis on the word result. So what happened as the result of of the trespass? It was death. And what happened as the result of the gift? It was justification. You guys remember the definition of justification that I read earlier? I want to read it again and just kind of let this soak in. Justification is God's declaring those who receive Christ to be righteous, based on Christ's righteousness being imputed to the accounts of those who receive Christ. Because as believers, you are in Christ. God sees Christ's own righteousness when He looks at us. This meets God's demand for perfection. Thus, He declares us righteous. He justifies us. Moving into 17, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now now we see the final effect of each man's actions. Death through Adam. Life through Jesus. Paul lifts up the superiority of Christ's work by emphasizing Christ's free gift of righteousness with using the phrase much more. In other words, in comparison, the work of Christ is far superior. Through Romans, you'll see Paul using this text where he like builds up this argument where he he apexes and he always uses this much more, even more. So the work of Christ is far superior to that of Adam. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. In this passage we want to be careful not to draw the conclusion of universalism, which which is that all will be saved when we read for life for all men. Remember, verse 17, it says, um, we just read the, the gift is for those who receive the abundance of grace. Now, what we can say is that God's grace is sufficient. It is sufficient for all. It has the ability to cover all. But what we see unfold in Scripture is, is something that Jesus says himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We are in Adam by birth, but in Christ by new birth. Moving into verse 19, it says, For as by... The one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I came across this quote by Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and it really gives us good insight here. Just listen intently to what he says. He says, look at yourself in Adam. Though you had done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. Isn't that good? I'm going to read that again. It says, Look at yourself in Adam. Though you had done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that Though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. That is good. That is good to just soak that in. Moving into verses 20 and 21. It says, Now that sin came in to increase the trespass, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul, Paul begins to, to digress here, but he, he kind of ruffles the Jewish understanding of the law. Remember, he's speaking uh, to many of these are Jews. Um, and, and the Jews felt the law was established due to humans' propensity to sin. There's a... a a, a proverb in Judaism, and it says, The more Torah, the more life. So, in other words, the more law, the more life. Ultimately, we are seeing here that the law was added so that grace may abound all the more. God's plan is unfolding, and we are getting a clear understanding of the work of the law and the necessity of the work and obedience. Of Jesus. So if you remember at the beginning of Romans, Paul starts off talking about the law. It, it's almost like he chases a tangent, but then he, now he's coming back to the law. And so just as with the comparison of Adam and Jesus, we see here the comparison between law and grace. We see that grace is far superior to the law. So I want to conclude this morning by reminding us that we have hope in Christ's triumph over Adam's sin. Christ's work is so much more superior than that of Adam. I want to read that that quote from uh, Dr. Jones one more time. And just let that soak in. Again, it was, Look at yourself in Adam. Though you have done nothing you are declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. I, th- I think this is a beautiful summation statement regarding our text this morning. For me, this, the reaction this produces in me is just reverent awe. Like I am in awe of this most holy God. Isn't it amazing what he has done? The work of Jesus to have his righteousness on us. I have this uncoerced gratitude towards the work of Christ. And I want to share this great news with everyone. And I want to delight in the spread of Christ. To delight in the spread of Christ. I want us to leave this place this morning excited about what God has done, delighting in who He is and the life that He brings, knowing that we bear His image. When God looks at us, He sees Christ's own righteousness. Rest in knowing grace is far superior than the law. It's far superior than anything that we will ever come in contact with. There is no other way. Hmm. It's good stuff this morning. So let me... I want to take a minute just to pray for us, and then um, John's going to come up and lead us in our, in our next song. Um, I just hope that this morning this text just really, again, just brings about an awe in your understanding and, and in your view of what God has done. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to come here this morning and just walk through your word and talk about what you've done through Christ. God, thank you so much Thank you so much for Christ's obedience to death, to death even on a cross. And knowing that you look at us and you see Christ's righteousness. God, I... I daydream about you because of this. It is this very thing that causes me to daydream about you because of your goodness and your greatness. May that same thing be for each of us today that we would just daydream about how great you are. God, we love you and we thank you for allowing us to come together and share in celebrating you.